Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. It must have been WMMS that gave away bumper stickers for Damn the Torpedoes. They're, my yes. my friends must have gotten a hold of 50 of those things, and they were all over the school. I mean, in classrooms and such. I think they snuck in at midnight and did it. Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns. Tammy has once again taken the week off. Why? Because when the books started rolling in, the books started rolling in. This week, we're going to talk about the book, Tom Petty and Me, My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty. It's by an author by the name of John Scott. John Scott was a promo man for MCA when he found this record in a closet, wrapped in a jacket, and it was Tom Petty. Everybody, everybody at the record company, everybody. No, 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 no. They're a punk band. Not going to do it. We're going to drop them. We're we're not going to do anything with them. John knew what he had, and it's because of him that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers exist in your mind today. So for an hour, let's hear the story. John Scott, Tom Petty, and me for an hour on Rock School. On phone with me, John Scott, the author of Tom Petty and Me. John, how are you? Thanks for taking an hour of your life talking to me. Good. Hey, doing great. Good to talk to you. I loved your book. I thought it was wonderful. And what was great about it is you were in radio 70s and 80s. I started in the 80s. So a lot of the stuff you're talking about, uh, I know mm-hmm. quite well. So I'm, I'm interested in as much about Tom Petty as I am about this world of radio. So you mm-hmm. said you were a promo man. I have spoken to, I think, a million of you guys. So go ahead, tell us what a promo man does. Well, a promo man's job is to get records played on the radio for the most part. And by hook or crook, I guess. But no, I'm serious. I'm kidding. But um, no, that's what we did. We called radio stations, visited radio stations. And then part of our job was to go out with groups on tour. And we would, uh, like, I would travel with The Who in a private plane. And I would set up radio interviews in the cities that we were going to or parties afterwards or things like that. And in general, just making sure the Who were happy. What what album were you what album were you on the Who with? That would have been what? Face Dances? What album were you on? No, it was Who by Numbers. Who Who by by Numbers numbers was the album that that was out around that time. And um, there's a party that we had in Houston that's probably one of the greatest rock and roll parties ever heard about oh, and if you google the who and houston you will see pictures and you you will go okay i know what he means yeah <laughs> it was it was it was the greatest until a month later a guy named charlie minor 
a legendary promotion man called me up and offered me the job as head of album promotion for ABC Records. Take it. And I grabbed it because I had nothing else on my plate, no oh, money. Yeah. Just bought a house. Anyway, so I go to work there, and it's like uh, the coolest thing in the world. They didn't have a you know gigantic office like I had at MCA, but um, it was just a cool place, and Charlie was a great guy. And So three days into my job, I'm reaching into the closet to get my jacket to go to lunch, and a record album falls down, and it's a white jacket, nothing on it, no name, no nothing. And I pulled the vinyl out, and again, there were no song tracks, no song listings, didn't tell you who it was. Nothing. So I'm a music nut probably like yourself, and I just said, well, I'm just going to sit down and listen to this because I don't know who they are. Yeah. And I sat down, and her song was called Rockin' Around With You, and I'm kind of going, man, this is pretty cool. Then I hear Breakdown, and every hair on my body stood up. I mean, chill bumps, goosebumps, and I am just going, holy crap. That could be a hit record. And then I listened to the whole album, and American Girl is the last song you hear on side two. And my God, hearing that song, you know, just, again, goosebumps everywhere. So I went and got my headphones, put them on, listened to it a second time. And I was in a trance after listening to this record. And I ran to my boss's office and said, who are these guys? And he pulls the album out, puts it on the turntable. 30 seconds, he goes, oh, that's a punk band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They thought it was a punk band? They thought it was a punk band. Um, And I looked at him and said, punk band? Are you kidding me? This is one of the greatest rock and roll records I've ever heard in my life. He said, John, there's only so 12,000 copies. They're a punk band. That's what radio stations are telling us. And we're dropping them from the label. And I went, wait a minute. You're dropping this band from the label? He said, yep. Yeah, they've spent too much money on them. And, And the reason people thought he was a punk band, I think, most radio stations did, was because he had a black leather jacket on in the first album. He had bullets around his neck, long, stringy blonde hair, and a smirk on his face. Hmm. And I don't think, I mean, there was there was some airplay in San Francisco, San Jose, and Boston, but not much. And um, I said, Charlie, just do me a favor. I can get. I think I can get this record played on the radio. I, I said, just give me. Just give me six weeks to try to get it played. You have nothing to lose. And if I don't, if I can't get it played, I'll stop. I promise you. And he said, no, we're dropping them. At that point, I knew what I'd just heard, right? Yeah. I got down on my knees and I begged him. I said, please, Charlie, give me six weeks. That's all I want. And he said, okay, if you can get that unbankable punk band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played, I'll kiss you on Sunset Strip, and I'll give you a raise. It's alright 
good friend of mine happened to go to work for uh, a radio station in Los Angeles, a brand new FM station, right around that time. And it was kind of serendipitous that I knew this guy really well. And they were an FM station competing against other FM stations in Los Angeles. And I took the record over to his house and he put it on and we did go outside and we got adjusted, you know, an attitude adjustment before we listened to this record. What was that, a joint? This is one of the greatest records you're going to hear. And he's going, yeah, right, I've heard this before. Yeah. So he sits down with his Sennheiser headphones on and after the album's over, he has a glazed look on his face. He says, holy f***. Who the hell are these guys? This is one of the greatest records I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm going, sweet Jesus, thank you, Lord. Somebody now has heard what I heard. And Charlie's raving, Charlie Kendall. And he said, are they any good live? I said, Charlie, I have no idea. I accidentally picked this record up. And I have no idea if they're any good or not. not but I know they're playing in, in Los Angeles at the Whiskey at Go-Go this Saturday night and they're opening for Blondie and he said are you gonna go I went oh yeah we're gonna go see this band Charlie Kendall and myself and we were praying please don't be a punk band please be come out and look cool so the band opened at 7 o'clock there was about 15 people in the whiskey and um, they came out and did a version of Chuck Berry's O'Carroll o- mm-hmm. and Mike Campbell just tore the guitar up man and Tom Petty just sang it off and the drummer was Grace Stan Lynch and the piano player Ben Montench was just unbelievable and Ron Blair, the bass player, just kept the beat, man. And we knew at that moment, that instant, that this band was destined for greatness. And then they played Breakdown. And Charlie and I looked at each other, and Charlie said, John, I'm going to add this record to my playlist on Monday morning. I'm going to play it once an hour, every hour. There you go. Hey, and I'm going... Oh, my God. Uh, add in my back pocket. I'm a happy guy. I know. I understand. I got that all the time. Hey, I, I loved your stories about talking to radio people, and I hear you doing it right there. But, I mean, was this oh, yeah. was this the only record you were pitching? This was the only band? Because I always got pitched two or three bands or two or three songs every time I spoke to one of you guys. Well, the thing was, the thing was that the, when I got there, there were really no other rock, there were no were records for me to work, because most of them were um, like B.B. King or... A, jazz album, ABC had a big jazz label, but there were no albums for me to work at the time, and my, my job was just to call FM stations and let them know where I was working, and then connect with all the local people um, in Los Angeles, so I had nothing to do at the time, and except find this record by accident, and so the band plays about a 45-minute set, and we go, holy crap. I think they closed with American Girl. And if you've ever seen 
or heard American Girl, you know what I mean. Sure. <clears throat> it's one of the greatest records in the world. So I go upstairs. I, I got to go upstairs and meet this guy. And so I go upstairs and, and uh, I, I see Tom. And there was no security for an opening act. I see Tom wiping the sweat off his face and I go, Hey, uh, Tom Petty, my name is John Scott. I'm the new guy at MCA Records, head of album promotion. And he looked at me and said, I'll give a who you are. <laughs> we, we hate ABC Records. They've done nothing for eight months for our career. Nothing, absolutely nothing, except advertise us in punk magazines and teen magazines. And I'm kind of going, hmm, no, okay. And I said, well, have you ever heard your record on the radio in Los Angeles? He went, no, why? I said, well, you're going to hear it Monday morning, once an hour, every hour. And he looked at me and said, bull****. <laughs> Who the hell are you? <laughs> Another ABC nut job promising something they can't deliver. Just get the f*** out of here. <laughs> I'm going, no, no, no. I mean, uh, Tom, and I, I see the roadie coming around to escort Charlie and my, myself out of the room. And for some reason, I just turned around and said, Tom Petty, I'm going to break your career wide open. How's that? Oh, my God, the band started laughing, and everybody's laughing. And he said, Tom <laughs> calls up to Stan Lynch and says, Stan, tell this guy what ABC Records stands for. Oh, no. And I go, he said, you don't, you don't know? I went, no. ABC, a bunch of... <laughs> And man, the place just, I mean, people were laughing off at me and <clears throat> going, get out of here. And something made me turn around again to Tom as I'm walking out the door. I'm like, Tom Petty, my name is John Scott. When you hear your record on the radio, you're going to be thinking of me, and don't you ever forget it. Oh, my God, get out of here. So they threw us out. And Charlie and I really, we weren't really disappointed. We started laughing, actually, because... We knew he had no idea what was about to happen. And uh, sure enough, on Monday morning, Charlie starts playing the record once an hour. And on Wednesday, I get a call from the manager, Tom Petty's manager, going, you f my artist. Aww. Why did you tell him you can break his career? <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to. Yeah. And he, he went, you know, I, I, got, I got to go. And he hung up, hung up the phone. And about that time, I think on Thursday morning, my head of head of sales came into my office and said, Tower Records just ordered 250 copies of this album. Cool. It's eight months old. Why did they order this record? I said, well, K-West, the new station in town, is playing it once an hour. And this guy kind of looked at me like, what the are you doing? And I just said, I'm going to break this guy's career. I really didn't know it, of course, if I could do it. I was just saying it because I had heard the record and now I had seen the band. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious to me, it was a no-brainer. On Friday, Tom Petty, my assistant came in and said, Tom Petty's on the phone and wants to talk to you. And I kind of going, oh my God, what's gonna, which way is this conversation gonna go? <laughs> but thank God he, he gets on the phone and his southern draw says, hey John, um, um, my friends are telling me they're hearing my record on the radio like you said. Were you serious about what you said? You're going to break my career? At the time, I'm as serious as I can be. I'm going to break your career wide open.
It's time to take our first break here on the Rock School Radio Show. We'll get back in just one minute to John Scott as we talk about his book, Tom Petty and Me, My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty. Back in a minute here on Rock School. Yeah, every time you bring up something with Tom Petty, it seems like your boss jumps up and says, no, 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 shut up, don't run that record. (laughs) It's it's absolutely true. I live on the west side by the county reservoir. And she lives down on Depot Street behind the city hall.
There is a, a consistent rumor about the simple amount of weed that uh, Tom Petty smoked. And what I want to know from you is, because uh, is it a joint or two now and again, or is he like taking down an entire farm? <laughs> no, it was really a joint or two. I mean, we, we weren't crazy, but, you know, it was the 70s. And, you know, I, I had one kid write me about the book he said you know i really loved your book but you guys smoked a lot of pot <laughs> yeah and I said, well you know it was the, it was the 70s and uh, that's just the way it was no we would go over to tom's house and and i'd take a dj over with me and we'd you know we'd go outside and smoke a joint or two and then just listen to new records and he had a jukebox and he'd be playing fats domino and you know uh, little richard and and it wasn't. It wasn't a farm, but yeah, we we you know we did smoke a joint or two. I will admit that. But you know, we never did cocaine. We never did anything beyond that at that point in time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I love Tom because I had seen other bands like The Who uh, go out of control. <laughs> another question here you, you you have found it you've latched onto it and now you've got the artist behind you it sounded like he wasn't behind you to begin with what kind <laughs> no. no what kind of budget did you have to get this guy played zero oh come my on my boss told me my boss told me when when i said he said Art, i'll give you six weeks but you can't buy any radio ads no magazine ads no, nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. That's unfair. You're on your own. That's unfair. Well, you know what? I didn't even care at huh. the time because I knew what I had just heard. Yeah. And I didn't give it. You know, I'm just going, okay, don't give me a budget. I'll just go out on my own. And I find out later that one of the reasons Tom Petty wasn't being promoted was that Charlie Minor, my boss at the time, was a big top 40 guy. And he loved Marilyn Davis and uh, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis. <laughs> yeah. And they had a single out about the same time as Tom Petty. I saw and he was that. telling all the promotion men, screw Tom Petty, work that Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis record. I love that. And, that Tom Petty was almost taken down by Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis <laughs> Jr. <laughs> Swear <laughs> to God, that's the truth. <laughs> exactly. It was starting to get added to more and more stations, except for 90. There were 90 station, FM stations not playing it because they were controlled by a consultant. Ah, don't get, please don't get me started on radio consultants. It was one of the reasons I left the business. Well, I got to tell you, you know, that was the thing. If you were number two in the market, you wanted to be number one. These guys were pitching the fact that we can, we can tell your stations what to play and we've done research and you'll vault in the first place and all these all these number two radio stations were buying it well yeah so, the sales pitch and, 
Now, wait a minute. The sales sales pitch pitch. of these people was that they wouldn't offend anyone with new songs. They only pitched songs that had, you know, you weren't programming with these guys in order to lead the audience. You were programming to not offend the audience. Am I right or wrong about that? You're exactly right. Exactly right. And the playlist shrunk, you know, maybe down to 50 records or 40 records that a station could play. Oh yeah, and everybody hated these these consultants because the DJs couldn't play what they wanted to play. It was tough for me to go pitch a, a song to a, a radio station because all my consultants told me I couldn't play it. we got to take our second break. We'll take one minute, and we'll be back. We'll talk to John Scott, Tom Petty, and me. My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty. Back in a minute here on Rock School. I remember distinctly uh, WMMS. You you have them in your book, and I grew up in Cleveland. I mean, you even really? have a oh yeah, you even have a picture of Kid Leo in your book. And I, I do. yeah, mm-hmm. during my college career, I sent him a demo tape four years in a row, and four times he told me to get lost. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember distinctly in my high school. Uh, it must have been WMMS that gave away bumper stickers for Damn the Torpedoes. There, my yes. my friends must have gotten a hold of fifty of those things, and they were all over the school. I mean, in classrooms and such. I think they snuck in at midnight and did it. But th- these <laughs> these bumper stickers were stuck everywhere, and they stayed up for like a month. Oh, I remember that distinctly. Oh yeah, we we, we uh, like I said, we we asked for the moon. It really helped, you know, promote the album from the beginning. We started working it before it came out. When it came out, it what every FM station in America was playing that band. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Tom Petty was playing five thousand seat, ten thousand seats, and. I used to go on the road with them. I, did, I never wanted to get off the road with those guys because I was witnessing history every night. Yeah. And Tom's motto was kind of like, I want every concert to be better than the last one. Yeah, I think... And I want s- every album to be better yeah. than the last one. And that's what he did. 
That's what I, but yeah, then and, they were, then they were playing Here Comes My Girl, even the Losers, Don't Do Me Like That. Yep. It, exactly. it, it was ridiculously popular. I mean, that must oh, have... Oh, man, did I have a smile on my face, too? I was going to say, it had to be the easiest job in the world. It's like it's like selling heat to people in a cold <laughs> climate. Hey, I got a new Tom Petty single. Yeah, here you go. And they played it. You got that right, man. Yeah. I swear, every FM station in America, basically, rock station, were playing that record. Oh, I did. And not just one track, like I said. I got one more quick question, and I know it's going to be sure. painful. I know it's going to be painful, but uh, as an interviewer, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask about it. When was the last time you saw Tom, and how did you hear about his passing? The last time I saw Tom was May 8th, 2017. He was playing in my hometown of Memphis, and I took my entire family there, my grandkids and my daughter, and we flew to Memphis, and uh, we have some relatives there. And we, um, he really didn't allow things back to happen backstage before the show. But I told him I, I'd like to have our picture taken. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, he said, sure, come on. So he, they come out of the dressing room, and I'm standing there with my, my daughter, my grandkids, and Tom, we gave each other a big hug. How you doing, man? <laughs> he said, well, my left ear is really bothering me. I'm having trouble hearing out of my left ear and he had a plug in his ear. He said, I do have a few aches and pains, but you know, it's not enough to stop the show. And so, you know, we hugged again. We went out to the seats, to our seats and, and as the band were walking up the stairs to the stage, Steve Ferroni, the drummer was kind of holding Tom, pushing him a little bit. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But never, at any concert that I saw in that tour, did he ever slur a word? Uh, he was in pain, couldn't tell. He just put on a show like he always does. Yeah. How did you hear? That was the last day I saw him. How did you hear? The, I had gone, there were three nights of the Hollywood Bowl that he played as, you know, as the last shows of this 52-city tour. And there were rumors that, you know, he might have, the band was going to break up, and now we're not break up, they weren't going to play anymore, he was tired of touring, and, or maybe Wildflowers was going to come out, or maybe, and I went to the third show the last night, and as an aside, I'll tell you this, after the fourth song, he stopped the show, and he dedicated a song to me in front of 18,000 people, and I didn't know he was going to do it. Wow. And he played I Won't Back Down and told the story of what happened in 1977 about what I did. And my daughter's crying, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm like 
you know, I'm like a mess because it was like, I looked at this, you know, as like a gift that he left me. But a week later, I was in my backyard sitting out in the chair and my daughter happened to be there and we heard the news that came on the radio that Tom Petty had died, cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And I think that was from Rolling Stone magazine and they'd gotten it wrong. He, He did have... Uh, a cardiac arrest, but he wasn't dead. I think it was October 1st. I remember that, yeah. And I went, and I, I, I just remember, I remember going to, I ran to my, into the kitchen, and it was on Facebook, and I just went, no, 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 about a hundred times on Facebook. And I couldn't believe it. And then the word came out, well, he wasn't dead. Next morning, I wake up and first thing I hear is Tom Petty has died. Right. Yeah. And I lost it. I lost it completely, man. I mean, he was my buddy. He was my pal. He was my hero. He was a songwriting genius. He could make us, he could, he could write a song that lasted two and a half minutes long and anybody could relate to it. think so. The name of the book, Tom Petty and Me, by the author John Scott, who we're speaking to, My Rock and Roll Adventures with Tom Petty. Uh, John, it's a it's we're a great the, story. The by John Mellencamp. I saw that, yeah. There were some questions I had, <laughs> but you were all kinds of about Tom Petty, and I didn't want to stop you because it, it, it's obvious <laughs> the passion comes right through for the thing. But uh, I'm, I'm so unbelievably happy you contacted me about the book and then you took the time out to speak with me john i i so thank you i i I was waiting to speak with you because i heard a lot about you oh no (laughs) it's all good it was all good no this has been fantastic i mean um like i said you know this tom is a a hero he's an iconic probably one of the most iconic songwriters in the world I got a buddy of mine. He was a student, and now he's a buddy of mine. He is. He says that, uh, and he, he stole this line from me, that there may be a bigger Tom Petty fan in the world, but they'd have to prove it. And he said as soon as this gets recorded, he wants to hear the whole interview, and he wants me to throw the book at him. So I'm going to do that. No. God bless him, man. <laughs> you betcha. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed my book. I really do. It's available on Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and also at TomPettyAndMe.com. Yeah. I sign every book. I personalize them if you want. I have it. <clears throat> yeah. And it's selling really good. I'm really a happy guy, and I miss Tom daily. Yeah. On a daily basis, every time I sign a book. Let's see if we can't get you. To, he's not here. Let's see if we can't get you to sign a few more. 
John Scott, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you, buddy. You bet. Take care of yourself.